Have you ever met somebody who seemingly had no issues losing weight? In fact, they made it look like it was a walk in the park. Maybe they just stopped drinking soda or started taking a walk in the morning. Meanwhile, you're busting your butt trying to lose weight. You've never drank soda. You're at Orange Theory Fitness five times a week and you still are fluctuating between the three and five pounds you've been trying to lose for months while the person who just cut soda loses like 20 pounds in three months. Or maybe you've lost weight in the past. You've been super successful and you exercised, you dieted, you hit your goal weight, you got there, but then life got in the way, you regained the weight. And then you try to lose it again, but no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't seem to come off this time. We have good news for you. You're not alone. And while it can seem really disheartening to watch somebody else drop weight really easily, or maybe you lost weight easily in the past and for some reason it's just not the same anymore, I like to take the perspective as there's always a solution to every problem. So in today's episode, we're going to share some reasons why it might be hard for you to lose weight compared to other people, and then give you some solutions for those specific reasons. I think the very first thing that we should talk about is you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Oh my God, that is such a good point. (laughs) So (laughs) while you may look at somebody else and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just, they lost 20 pounds in the time that I lost one pound. You don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. It may, maybe they just went through a really hard breakup Mm -hmm. or maybe they're going through a really hard time at work or they're super stressed and maybe they're not actually losing weight for a healthy reason. Mm -hmm. And you're comparing yourself to them when you actually shouldn't be. That's such a good point because you really never know what somebody is going through. And some people will tell you the whole story and still miss some points. And a lot of times you see people when they're out and they're having fun. So you'll look at someone and you're like, that person drinks four beers and that person got chicken wings and I got a salad. And somehow they're at a lower weight than I am or they're more successful than I am, but I ate a salad. Well, you're seeing them when they're out. You're not seeing maybe all the hours that they're spending meal prepping mm-hmm. or going to the gym. Like You're seeing them when they're out having a good time mm-hmm. and they want chicken wings and they deserve to have chicken wings because they just meal prepped all week. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're really intuitive with their natural hunger and satiety cues and they eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're mm-hmm. full. I just had a conversation with the client who was here before you came in, Megan. We were talking about how her friends who she sees are really skinny and really thin can eat in her eyes, whatever they want, and they have no problem. And we had this exact same conversation where it's like, well, you don't know how they're eating when you're not with them. You just see what you want to see, which is human. We're, we're all humans. We do this. It's just always a nice reminder. Right. We always want a reason why it's not fair for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that mindset's the kiss of death. Uh-huh. It's almost an excuse. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I hear from people is they say like, oh, you know, I have the fat gene or my mom was big or whatever it might be. It's a great excuse to use your genetics. And we're not denying that genetics play a a huge factor in how you store body fat, how your body composition is more likely to accumulate, I guess you could say. But if you let it be a reason not to improve, then it's going to be the reason you don't improve. Yeah. There was a real kicker (laughs) for me when I was working at that weight loss resort and we Mm -hmm. tested the metabolisms of every single person who came in because I would say probably... 60-70% of those people would say I have a slow metabolism Mm -hmm. and that's why I gain weight because my metabolism is slow and for most of the people that we 
tested their metabolisms were the exact normal rate that Mm -hmm. they should have been Mm -hmm. so i could plug all their information into a simple calculator on my computer it would spit out a number to say what a normal metabolism for that person of that height weight and age would be and most of those people were within 100 calories of that simple formula when we did the actual metabolic test on them so it was a big eye-opener for them and for me to say hey look your metabolism is just like anybody else of your same weight height and age that's not an excuse yeah we see that a lot with our clients who come in and they go and get the rmr testing done at a local place here in orlando called dexafit Mm -hmm. and they'll take a scan of your body you can see your body composition but if you elect to you can also get your metabolic rate tested Mm -hmm. and it gives you like a little chart and it shows you where your metabolism is but then it also will mark whether it's slow fast or normal yep I rarely see anybody have a slow metabolism, and if it is marked as slower, it's very little compared to what that median baseline is. It's pretty rare. I think I've maybe seen two or three. Mm -hmm. And you know who I've seen it with are people who have yo-yo dieted a lot. The chronic dieters. The chronic dieters. And I think that's a great first reason that we can get into on why it might be harder for you to lose weight. Because if you're listening to this, I have a strong suspicion that you feel a little bit uh, stumped on why you can't lose weight. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have clicked on this episode. (laughs) But this probably, I would say, is one of the biggest things that I see. It's somebody who one time in their life, whether it was when they were 18 or 25, it's usually when they were younger, uh, they lost weight from some form of caloric restriction. Mm -hmm. Maybe they did Weight Watchers, maybe they did South Beach when that was a thing, doesn't matter. Somehow, some shape, some form, they cut calories or increased their exercise and lost weight. And I'll hear these people and tell me if you hear this too, Megan. They're like, it was crazy. I would lose like one to two pounds every week. And then I hit this one weight and I stopped losing weight. And then it slowly crept back on. Yep. Yep. So it's easy to chalk that up as a slow metabolism. But really the terminology I like to use is, well, you had a metabolic readaptation. Exactly. You taught your body there was not enough food around. So if you were a hunter and gatherer, I always like to go back to like Mm -hmm. our evolutionary state and explain the science behind it. You've taught your body there's not enough food around for you to survive, so your body had to adapt to the amount of food that was around for it. So because your body adapted to that, it means it decreased your metabolism to match what you were giving it. Mm -hmm. So because now your metabolism equals the amount of calories that you're giving your body, that's when you hit that plateau. Mm -hmm. So when you get sick of doing that because your body is hungry and you start eating a normal amount of calories again, instead of going back to your normal baseline weight, now you go above that because your body can't handle the amount of calories anymore. Mm -hmm. And it thinks, oh, hey, we are in a season of feast. Let's hold on all these calories that we possibly can because we know that a famine is coming around the corner sometime soon. Mm -hmm. And then you might think from that, it's like, well, then I'll just cut calories again. Mm -hmm. And if I gain this weight, I'll just be able to go back down. Well, the more often you repeat this pattern, your metabolism's adaptation is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. So you have this regain. Your metabolism hasn't had time to catch up to the amount of calories that you're putting in. You're storing body fat. Okay, you try to cut calories again from a low metabolism. You can only go so low with how much you're eating because your body doesn't want you to lose weight, which sucks to, it's a hard pill to swallow, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. 
but your body doesn't care if you look good in a bikini, doesn't care how you fit in your dress this weekend. It's thinking, okay, I keep, I have to slow down my metabolism because Kate's only eating 800, 900 calories. We're going to die. And this is why anybody who loses weight eventually stops. You can't just dwindle down to zero pounds. (laughs) Right, exactly. Your body adapts. And this is a good thing if we think about it in terms of survival Mm -hmm. and how your body just wants you to stay alive. Mm -hmm. That's its job. Its job is not to make you look good in a bikini. Mm -hmm. Its job is to keep you alive. And weight loss is actually counterintuitive to keeping you alive. You know what else happens when you lose a lot of weight, especially when you lose it quickly, is your body starts doing a bunch of other things to get you to eat. So not only does it slow down your basal metabolic rate, your metabolism, it also sends you increased hunger signals. So you start to feel hungrier. So you can imagine you have the slow metabolism and you have increased cues and thoughts to eat. I mean, that's a recipe for weight gain. So if this sounds like something you're experiencing and you're listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, that could be accurate for me. I've been on and off diets and they don't work anymore. The question becomes, where do you go from here? And I first want to address people who have never or maybe are starting to go on a diet for the first time. If you have never been on a diet and you've never lost weight and this is the first time in your life where you're thinking about wanting to lose weight, you're in a better position, but you have to be smart. So the last thing you want to do is drastically cut calories so low that you lose a bunch of weight really, really quickly, but then your metabolism adapts and you experience this same process that we just described. So if you've never lost weight before, take it slow and steady. I usually don't recommend people go much higher than a 5 to 10% deficit every few weeks because you don't want to get yourself into this hole. Yeah, I think there is a there's a sweet spot mm-hmm. there and and the sweet spot is giving your body enough calories to keep all of your normal functions going. So you're burning the most calories, staying alive, keeping your heart beating, lungs breathing, skin cells regenerating, hair growing, all those things burn energy. So if you don't give your body enough calories to do those things, it's not going to be able to recover from things like exercise. It's not going to be able to grow your hair nice and shiny and pretty and keep your skin glossy and all the things that we want. It's You're going to look dull. Your mm-hmm. hair is going to fall out. And those are other things that you notice when you decrease your calories severely. You just don't look as pretty. Yeah. Well, maybe you're just not as alive because <laughs> yes, exactly. your body is like shutting yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And I think people tend to really want to go back to that first diet that yeah. worked for them. So whether it was Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or uh, the what is it around here like Meta Weight Loss, yeah. Meta Fast, Meta something where you go on this 800 calorie diet and drink these shakes. A lot of people do that around here. They always want to go back to that because they're like, I lost 35 pounds when I was doing that. And I looked so good at the end of it. And it's like, how long did you lose that 35 pounds for? A couple <laughs> days? A yeah. couple weeks? Until um, Christmas? Yeah. So then it, there's always that temptation, well, that worked for me. And they try to go back to it. And then the second time, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. That's how you know your metabolism has adapted. Yep. That's your biggest sign. You know, it makes a lot of sense why we'd want to do that because imagine when you lose weight, every time you step on the scale, you're getting this little response that's telling your brain like, ooh, yay, reward. You get positively reinforced as you restrict and lose weight. So even if you're not really loving it, you're not feeling your best, you are hungry, 
you're getting this reward. So it teaches your brain, ooh, restriction, good. Restriction, weight loss. So it it might seem like you feel dumb for trying over and over again, but it's kind of recognizing like, hey, your brain just has this association with restriction and positive reward. We have to rewire that entire association to be okay, we have to be patient now, and that restriction is not a positive thing. It actually will mean weight regain or rebound. So speaking to people who have yo-yo dieted before, the solution depends on where you are today. If you haven't dieted in two or three years, you're going to be in a better position to lose weight because your metabolism is probably adapted to your weight now. But for some people, you might have to actually take a break from trying to lose weight and take some time to do some things to increase your metabolism. Especially if you are hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're hungry all the time and you're restricting yourself and you're not losing weight, it's time for a break. Yeah. Or if you are running yourself ragged at fitness classes and your calorie watch is saying that you burn 800 calories every single workout and you're restricting your food and nothing's changing or you're even gaining weight, that's also a big signal. Basically, that means that your body doesn't trust you to hunt and gather enough food Mm -hmm. for it. So you have to get your body to trust that you are able to gather enough nourishment. And if your body doesn't trust that you're going to gather enough nourishment, it's going to hold on to fat. Yeah. Because fat is our storage form of energy or it's our storage form of calories. And so there's no way that your body is going to get rid of that fat if it thinks I'm going to need this for later. So there's this battle that you're in with your body and we have to make sure that your body trusts you so that you can get the results that you want. It can't be a you versus your body thing. It will never work. Oh yeah, that's such a good point. You have to be team with your body. So it's kind of like what you just said here. The solution is you start to gather food and build that trust (laughs) with your body. I think there's smart ways to do it though. Mm -hmm. Uh, What you don't want to do is if you've noticed that you've been restricting, let's say hypothetically you've been eating 1,200 to 1,400 calories on average a day. Well, what you don't want to do is all of a sudden eat 2,500 calories and boost your intake to the max. Slowly increasing and titrating your average caloric intake up if you are really anal and tight about what you're eating and you're tracking every single day. I usually recommend people increase by about 5 or 10% and evaluate every week. And as soon as you get to a point where you're not overly hungry and you feel pretty content, um, you physically feel full, you're not having constant thoughts about food, you're not having tons of hunger signals, then I would stay at that point for a little bit. And then depending on where you are in your journey, anywhere between three to 12 weeks, then you can transition back into a slight deficit and work your way back down slowly. That's the approach I take, but I, I people don't love that approach because it's a slow, it's slow and steady. It's slow. But it's the only way to make... The best way I've described to people, it's, it's you feel like you're taking a step back, but you're doing that so you can take two steps forwards instead of just spinning your wheels. What I tell people is I don't want you in my office when you're 70 years old with this same problem yeah. that you have right now. And as long as you continue this exact same trajectory of lower your calories, lose the weight, eat normally, Mm -hmm. gain it back, you're going to be looking to see a dietitian or starting a new diet when you're 70 years old. And I don't want that for you. That's a really, I like that. I don't want to see you in here when you're old and crippled and hungry. Because we've seen it. We've had people who come here. Yeah, absolutely. And they're trying to lose the same five pounds. Yeah, the same, the people that have been doing it over and over and over for the rest of their lives. And that's why I love seeing people in their college years when they're just starting this whole process Mm -hmm. and we can get to them before they start 
this trajectory, oh. it's the best because then I'm like, I'm saving you from 50 <laughs> years of doing this yo-yo dieting. Yeah, if you have kids and you're listening to this, do not encourage them to go on a diet. Like that's the worst thing you Agreed. could do. There are better ways to talk about health and we could do an episode about that. You know, speaking of this metabolic readaptation, or I had a client who's, um, she's doing, going through it right now. She is almost exactly what we just described. She calls it metabolic rehab. And that terminology <laughs> just works well with her. She, she's like, I'm rehabbing my metabolism. Great. It was a real adjustment for her because she was exercising like crazy. And she's like, I can't let this go. It's my therapy. Um, she was a night nurse. So she would go to sleep for like six hours, wake up, go to these classes, bust her butt, go back to sleep for a few hours. And her average caloric intake over about three weeks was so, so, so low. Can't remember the exact number, but I was like, oh my God. And she kept gaining weight. And she's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to let go of exercise. She's like, I cannot not exercise. And I was like, you can exercise and you should move your body. But what you're doing right now is digging yourself into a deeper hole. Mm -hmm. You're doing this extreme exercise and underfeeding. So typically what I recommend people do is either A, doing some kind of resistance training and building muscle because that's a great way to speed up your metabolism. If you are building lean muscle tissue, you'll burn more calories at rest and or do some more restorative type exercise that still gives you that therapeutic feeling of exercise, but doesn't put your body under such stress and burn as much energy at once. Walking, yoga, stretching, Pilates, you name it. There's so many things you can do. One of the things I really hammer home, especially to my female clients, just because they usually don't focus on strength training, is that when you're doing any type of exercise and you want to increase your metabolism, you have to increase your muscle mass. Yep. If you do not increase your muscle mass, you cannot increase your metabolism. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to do it. And that does not mean that you're going to get huge biceps. You're not, no matter how hard you try. They're not, you're not going to get big mm -hmm. biceps. You don't have enough testosterone, like unless you're taking some performance enhancing drugs you're not going to see that but that being said you have to challenge your body with weight that it can't move right now mm -hmm. because if you're doing the same five pound weights that you've been doing for 20 years that is not going to increase your metabolism at all mm -hmm. if you currently are doing push-ups on your knees you need to try and get on your toes and do push-ups because if you can currently do them on your knees and you keep doing them on your knees you're not causing your body to change you have to trick your body into changing it doesn't want mm -hmm. to change it wants to stay the same it's a lot easier for your body to stay the same it requires more energy for it to change but the only way you can increase your metabolism is if you change your body there's a word for that it's progressive overload yeah so they call it in training. Okay, that's what. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. Talk to your trainer about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, what goes through my head is, well, Megan, isn't that hard? Isn't it hard to go from a push-up on your knees to your toes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you can't do one now, you need to just try mm -hmm. to do one. I think that's what gets people though. It's like it's hard, and I don't wanna. If it's that's not hard, your your body's not going to change. Yeah. If you don't challenge it, it's not going to change. So if you're currently doing five pound weights, you need to pick up the tens mm. because what all we're trying to do is recreate you pulling home a deer that you shot and bringing home the bacon so to speak like that's what you're, we're trying to create when recreate when you're in the gym it sounds weird to think about but like we never had to work out when we were hunters and gatherers you have to trick your body into needing that extra muscle for you to survive mm. so if every day you're challenging that muscle to do more than it 
could in the past, it has to change in order to keep you alive. If you're not challenging it, it doesn't have to change and you can stay exactly how you were. Mm. You know, it's almost like you unintentionally did the perfect transition into our second reason and kind of the third reason to why it's hard to lose weight. And I'll mention it in a second, but we'll just end this first reason of metabolic adaptation is if you yo-yo diet, you have to take a step away from dieting and restricting and consider doing things to increase your metabolism. We laid out a few for you. If you're not sure, contact one of us. Megan and I can sit down with you and we can help you figure out if you need to increase your overall caloric intake, if you need to change up how you're exercising, we can figure that out for you. And a lot of times I hear people say like, am I eating too little? And I'm like, no. (laughs) So this is not everybody. Yeah. Um, It's rare. Yeah, it does happen though. It does happen. And it's like the, we, we can figure, help you figure that out. There's some telltale signs. Yep. But one of the things that you had mentioned is people being afraid of getting big biceps. And one of the reasons why it might be harder for you to lose weight is because you are a woman and you're a female and you are biologically designed to hold on to more body fat because you do not have as much testosterone. This is why your husband or your boyfriend or your dad lost weight with just a few simple changes, maybe simple, not simple, but not easy for some people, right? But they make it look way simpler and they have faster rates of weight loss. It's simply because they probably have more testosterone and you have more estrogen. And that's just the way it is. You're supposed to have body fat on you as a female. Again, for survival and procreation. Exactly. So our entire goal is to keep you alive. And so in order to keep you alive and to carry a baby, you need to have body fat on your body. So men don't have to have that. Women, we are not supposed to have six packs. Mm -mm. We're not. Like, Mm -mm. we are not supposed to have six pack abs. We are supposed to have fat in our middle to help us to carry a child. And we need those extra calories in order to do that from that fat. So, hard truth is, having a six pack is super, super rare as a female for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because biologically, that's not what Mm -hmm. we're supposed to look like. I think it's a nice relief. (laughs) And that, to me, makes me feel so much better. I'm like, oh, this is really nice that yeah. I don't have to have that pressure. So, good for us, We're supposed females. to have fat on our thighs. We're supposed to have fat on our butts. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just, that's Thick. life. That's how it's supposed to be. And so, for us to, like, beat our bodies into submission to have no fat, it doesn't make any biological sense for mm-hmm. us. That's why a lot of women, when they get down to a lower body fat percentage, they might lose their menstrual cycle. Because their body is like, oh, we don't have enough energy to create a baby. We're going to shut down this whole procreation process until you eat more and you put some weight on you. Exactly. And even if you're not underweight, if you start decreasing your calories and over-exercising and you don't have a period for a few months, that's literally your body telling you, I cannot carry a child Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So we can't ovulate because I don't even have enough calories to keep you alive. So I certainly don't have enough calories to keep a baby alive. And so if you think about that, what you're telling your body is, okay, there's not enough food around for me. So there's not enough food around for a child. So I shouldn't procreate right now. You got it. And I wouldn't compare your baseline to somebody else's. So your body might require extra body fat to have a menstrual cycle compared to your cousin and sometimes that's just the way it is it's the card you're dealt and it's up to you if you want to make a a, you want to throw yourself a pity party about it or if you want to do some of the things that we outlined in the first reason which is 
Focus on building muscle and changing your body composition without this obsession of overly losing a bunch of body fat. So weight train, speed up your natural metabolism so that you can eat more and your body shape will maybe change more favorably. Yeah, and you can only compare yourself against yourself. You can't compare yourself against someone else who has a different starting point, who's had a different life and different life experiences. And some women are born with more muscle mass. And you know what? They had more muscle mass when they were 14 and they have more muscle mass now Mm -hmm. and that's genetic and that's just life. Mm -hmm. And so if you recognize somebody who, okay, they've always had more muscle mass, but my goal is to have a body like hers, you don't have a body like hers. But... Can you improve that the body the body that you're in? Sure. Totally. You can probably do that, but you're not going to look like somebody else. Yep. Swallow that pill and get over it. <laughs> you know, in a similar vein, another reason why it might be harder for you to lose weight is your age. Yes. If we're talking about things that happen with muscle mass as you age, it naturally starts to decline when you hit about 30 years old. And there's a scientific reason for this as well. So again, if you go back to hunter and gatherer populations, as you age, you're doing less of that hunting and gathering where the younger people are the ones that are going out, being active, bringing home the bacon and having the children. As you age, you've had your kids, you're sitting back, you're in your retirement years. I know 30 obviously (laughs) isn't relevant for that anymore, But that being said, there's a scientific reason why your body wants to decrease your metabolism because it wants to get rid of that muscle because you don't need it. Yeah, it's a lot of energy to maintain. Exactly. Can you combat that? Absolutely, by doing the exact thing that we already talked about, which is teaching your body that you still need that muscle. There seems to be a pattern here. (laughs) Yeah, weight train, we're big proponents. Maybe we're biased, but I think science is on our side. So yeah, if you are having trouble losing weight when you're 45, don't beat yourself up about it and compare yourself to your teenage daughter who's having an easier time maintaining a lower body weight. Right, and you can't eat the chicken fingers and fries every day like you did when you were 18. You just can't. You have have to... (laughs) Change your diet as you age. If you, What I tell my clients is if you do the exact same thing right now, this year, as you will do next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that, you will gain weight. Mm-hmm. If you don't change anything, you're going to automatically gain weight because your body is going to get rid of some of that muscle. It's not going to be able to handle as many calories. And so think about it. If you haven't changed anything since you were 18 years old... Well, now you're definitely more sedentary than you were when you were 18. I think 18-year-olds are probably just up and running around and doing a lot more stuff. Maybe back in our day. (laughs) True. Um, But not only that, your metabolism is declining, you're losing muscle. So yeah, you're going to gain weight every year. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing, if anybody listening to this is a younger person and you feel like it's kind of unfair if you struggle with your weight, I would challenge you to reframe this as... Uh, blessing in disguise. I always think about it like this because I struggle with my weight as a young person. And now I'm like, oh, thank God I did because it made me think about what I was eating. And I don't think I always did it in the best way, but it really encouraged me to be mindful about how I eat and be interested in nutrition because I'm genetically predisposed to carrying extra weight and I have obesity in my family. So if I didn't have that, if I wasn't aware of it, then who knows what habits I would have been able to maintain when I was 18 versus now and in the future. So I always tell people, I'm like, you know, if you struggle with your weight, even you know, wherever you are, if you can see it as an opportunity and maybe a, a sign or whatever word just sits with you best, is use this opportunity to build healthy habits so that when you are 40, 
You're not scrambling to lose weight. Right, and you haven't spent 40 years of your life eating a bunch of shitty food, which it's not just your weight that's going to tell us your health. It's also all these other health markers that are going on and how your brain is affected and your mood and everything else that you've been affecting for these past 40 years, but maybe all of a sudden it's caught up to you in the way that now you're gaining fat. It still matters Mm -hmm. what you're eating, even if you are at that normal weight. Mm -hmm. So like you said, maybe looking at that as like a glass half full, oh, well, I'm paying attention to what I'm eating because I am more predisposed to have more fat on my Mm -hmm. body. You know, let's talk about another reason that's really similar to this. And I think this is one that doesn't get talked about a lot, but could provide a lot of insight for somebody who maybe is really overweight or obese right now, whatever kind of word you want to use to describe yourself. There are some things that happen at a physiological level that I don't think most people are aware of. And that's how your body responds to normal or natural cues for hunger and satiety. So if we would do a brief biology 101 lesson here, there are two main hunger and satiety hormones. There's a few other ones, but we'll talk about two big ones. And one is ghrelin, which is released from your I believe it's your adipose tissue, the ghrelin. No, no, no. Leptin's from your adipose tissue. I won't get into that detail because clearly I'm not 100% sure. But ghrelin is released from your system, letting you know it's time to eat. So I always think of it, if your stomach's growling, you're releasing ghrelin. And when you feel full, there is something called leptin being released. And it tells your brain it's time to stop eating. So there have been studies that show that when somebody has a lot of adipose tissue or fat tissue, maybe they're classified as obese or they have a high body fat percentage, your body's less sensitive to that leptin or satiety hormone. That I know for a fact is released from your adipose tissue. So the more adipose tissue you have, the more leptin is being released and then your brain gets desensitized to the high amounts of the leptin. All in all to say is it's harder to know when you're full and when to stop eating when you're obese or overweight. And you pair that with the fact that if you're eating really hyper palatable foods that are full of sugar and refined carbs and fat and they're all mixed together like donuts, pizza, well, those things taste really good and you get a heightened response. So if you're eating these high calorie, highly palatable foods and you're not as sensitive to when you're full, it makes it way easier to eat a bunch of things that are going to contribute to weight gain and not feel like you're in control of stopping it. So if I was in that position, what would I do? Well, there's a few different ways you could go. If you really feel like, okay, I cannot tell when I'm hungry and full. I can't tell when I've had enough and when it's time to stop eating. And I recognize that other people get really full quickly eating a lot less than I do. I would say taking a route that's a little bit more anal and dialed in. And I think this is kind of hard because it involves some suffering to a degree, but I can't think of a better option. So usually with these kinds of clients, I'm like, okay, we need to figure out the appropriate amount of calories for you to eat to help you start losing weight. So we get a baseline of their metabolic rate, or we do a predictive equation, or we estimate based on their normal intake, and we create a deficit. And I have my clients track those calories. I want them to track how much they're eating to help them stop overeating. And this can be a bit uncomfortable because if they're not feeling full and they're still feeling hungry, but they've reached that upper threshold of calories for weight loss, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Over time, as you lose weight and you become more in tune with natural hunger and satiety cues, it gets easier. Honestly, I think for 
I don't, I don't even think everybody in this position needs to count calories. I think just keeping a food journal makes them more aware mm-hmm. of their intake. And so if I just said, okay, go eat normally, but write down what you're eating, they're not going to eat normally. They're going to automatically be paying more attention to what most they're eating. People. Yeah, I think most people. I think taking into account like what type of a person you are if you're a numbers person or if that's going to send you running in the opposite direction is important so if you're the type of person who likes to analyze and likes to see those numbers and you don't know if you're hungry or if you're full i think counting the calories for a couple weeks and really seeing like what does a good Mm -hmm. day look like for me makes sense but I also think if you never want a calorie, want to count a calorie, doesn't you don't have to go that route. You can also just be accountable to what you're eating on the day to day, and I think that's going to cause you to make some positive changes in the right direction. Mm. So I'm hearing you say it's know thyself. If you're the kind of person who loves numbers and you like that structure, then the more obvious choice for you might be calorie counting. That's going to be an easy way for you to stay accountable. But if that turns you off, that stresses you out, it makes you feel unmotivated, it makes you want to run away from even trying to change your body shape, well, then a food and mood journal where you're just tracking what you eat is also a really good approach. And if you don't trust yourself, it's time to hire somebody to hold your hand, Mm -hmm. so to speak. I know that I am more accountable if I... I often use Kate as my coach because I don't want to pay her. Um, but, (laughs) um, in a way, so like if I want to get something done, I'm going to tell you that Mm -hmm. I need to get it done. When I was writing the book, I would give you my dates, uh, where I wanted to get things done because I'm like, crap, Mm -hmm. I told her now I feel like I'm accountable to it. So Mm -hmm. bringing somebody in to help you with that accountability, I think is really important too. If you don't feel like you're accountable to yourself. Yeah. I think that's such a good point because I think a lot of people maybe feel bad about having an accountability system. Like, oh, like I'm failing because I had to hire somebody to help me. One thing that coming into, you know, private practice that I learned is everybody who's successful has somebody that they're learning from. You don't have to invent the wheel. You don't have to make it hard for yourself. I mean, you're, you, Megan, in in my way, is a a business coach, and you've had business coaches, and we go to seminars, and we learn from the people in the business world that have a coach, and they hold them accountable, and they give them the system, and they give them the answers, and hold them accountable to executing. So you could apply that to anything in your life, and diet and exercise are, are obvious ones. That's why there's trainers. That's why there's nutritionists and dietitians. You can work with somebody to help you figure out an approach that you can stick to and then have somebody holding you accountable to it. I once heard someone say that there's three pillars of accountability and I really liked it. One was having personal accountability, one was having professional accountability, and one was having social accountability. So if you're spending time with people that are living and acting the way you want to, that's going to make it easier for you to hold yourself accountable. You could also do this on social media. If you have trouble holding yourself personally accountable, well, then you can meet with someone who's professional and they can provide both of those things for you and give you tools. I know that's what we do with our daily accountability program people. So if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we talk about DAP, our daily accountability program, a lot because we get to know these clients on a deeper level than most. We talk to them every single day and we help them create systems to stay personally accountable to their weight loss or health or just general nutrition goals that they are struggling with on their own. 
and the goal is they set up systems to hold themselves personally accountable forever so they need less and less if any professional accountability at all exactly and i think that something like the daily accountability program is right for people who feel like they know what to do and they don't do it yeah that's the yep that's what it is it's like they have been through the blogs they've watched the youtube videos they know what is good and bad i hate using that terminology but good and bad but for some reason when they're out in the wild they just cannot execute they have the information and the knowledge and they don't have the actual action yep so that's what we take care of Uh, We both are taking daily accountability program clients at the beginning of each month, but we require an application because we only take so many each and we want to make sure it's the right person in the program. Uh, We ask you a lot of questions before you join the daily accountability program to make sure it's a good fit for you. And if it's not, we point you in a direction that is better suited for you. So whether that's our traditional one-on-one coaching or somebody else, we'll be honest with you because I mean, we talk to you every day. We don't want to talk to you if we're not going to be able to help you. That makes us crazy. So if you're listening to this and you're like, uh, yeah, I think I need some accountability, I will put the application in the show notes, as I always do. But you can also go on our website, orlandodietitian.com, and click that services coaching tab, and you can access the application there. Yeah, so if you feel like you're one of these people who have a harder time losing weight, you may just need someone to personally look at what's going on in your life and help you out with that. And usually there is some type of scientific explanation. We didn't go into all of them today, but we wanted to give you just a a bite-sized look into some of those reasons. Yeah, these are the biggest ones we've seen. Um, Of course, there's going to be some stuff that's more medical that we're not going to go into today, especially because it's a little bit out of our scope. But if you are concerned about having a hormonal imbalance, before you jump to conclusions, I'd really recommend getting your hormones tested uh, before just chalking it up to having a, you know, a poor thyroid or something like that. Get some concrete evidence and some labs from your doctor before you start blaming it on something like that. And just keeping in mind too, like we have a lot of clients who come in with things like PCOS and they're like, I need help with my PCOS and weight loss. And what I find is that in general, a lot of the things we need to do for those PCOS clients are what we need to do for everybody. Totally. And then maybe later on down the road when we have all of the kind of so-called normal things taken care of, then we kind of dive into Mm -hmm. specifics for PCOS. I really need labs for those to really know if it's like a PCOS related issue. Because if Mm -hmm. someone has PCOS, but their insulin's normal, their testosterone and estrogen are within normal limits, then we don't want to just be like, oh, all of a sudden you have to go on a low carb diet and you have to start doing all these crazy things. It's like, probably not. Probably not. If you're the kind of person that does better on a low carb diet because you're just that kind of person, okay, we can explore that. But you can't just, you know, say that, oh, because I got this diagnosis, then it's harder for me to lose weight. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Agreed. So guys, if you guys liked this episode, if you thought it was really helpful, informative, it really helps us if you share the podcast on your social media, if you tag us on Instagram at nutrition.awareness, and even if you just send us a DM sharing what solution really helped you, uh, any kind of insight that you got from this episode, that just helps us know what to talk more about. But Megan, I'll let you kind of summarize the big main points from today's episode before we let people go. Okay, so main points from today's episode, don't compare yourself to others. Number one, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes for them. You don't know what their dieting history is. You don't know what their weight loss or weight gain history is. So you only should compare yourself to yourself. 
Number two, if one diet worked for you in the past, it does not mean it's going to work for you again. Mm -hmm. A lot of times your body goes into what we call metabolic adaptation. That does not mean that you will never be able to lose weight again. It just means we need to come at it from a different angle. Calorie restriction and over-exercise is really never the way to go because you're going to cause more damage Mm -hmm. in the future for yourself. Um, Another thing that we talked about was... Appetite regulation, accountability. Yes. Um, And if there are certain habits that you are doing every single day that maybe you need to change, you might want to have a coach look at what you're doing from the day to day. Agreed. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today's episode. We try to put out an episode every week, so make sure you are subscribed, that you're sharing the podcast. And as always, if you have questions or want to work with us, all of the links are in the show notes. Thanks.